Welcome to Learning CDH, the podcast dedicated to teaching you everything you need to know about Competitive Commander. I'm your host, Matthew, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Eric. And today we're going to be talking about something that the commenter suggested. I asked the people what they wanted to hear about, and I heard pretty overwhelmingly that people wanted to know how to take that step from beginner who's kind of figured out a little bit of what's going on into like becoming an intermediate player who really has like a good solid grasp of the game and is able to get in there and take some games down. So hopefully we give some just some simplistic bullet points that we've utilized ourselves just to get you from point A to point B. I've broken this down into roughly five main goals that I would set as a player looking to sort of hit this mark of intermediate. But again, keep in mind, these are kind of loose goals and ideas of being beginner, advanced, intermediate. These are all things that I would say that an intermediate player should be able to do or should have a a good grasp of before being able to move on to some of the more advanced topics. This video is brought to you by Inked Gaming. Inked has amazing artwork to choose from for play mats, mouse pads, bags, and other accessories, while also allowing you to upload your own custom artwork to show off your style. Check out the affiliate link in the description below to level up your look and support the channel. This video is brought to you by Card Trader. Card Trader Zero is a service that lets you buy cards from all over the world with no extra shipping fees. Cards are sent to Card Trader to verify and they'll keep them until you're ready to get them all at once with a single shipping fee. Register at the link in the description below to get $2 just for signing up. I think it's fair to say that, you know, we've got a little bit of just information we'd like to share. Matt's played how long have you played Commander now, Matt? Three years for Commander, I think. Right right at three years. Yeah, and just overall, like, you have a lot of experience in other games, obviously Magic Gathering itself. And then, you know, I'm a dinosaur, so <laughs> hopefully some of that, you know, surviving the uh, extinction through the Ice Age and everything. I survived 65 million years, survived the Ice Age, and now we're in modern times. So hopefully any little bit of mild experience that I've had can just help somebody who's beginning get to that next step. And, I, and honestly, I would say that's been the beauty of our channel. Specifically for obviously the learning CDH is just being able to have people like reach out and ask and not be unapproachable. That's been the nicest part about it is just being like for people to like ask questions, Mm. you know, very simple questions. We've talked about it before. I enjoy teaching. That's kind of where a lot of my like philosophy comes from is like a growth mindset. And that's something I just enjoy to do. So hopefully this is just a simple guide, nothing concrete. It just helps people see some things to kind of start developing into a more intermediate player. Make sure to let us know down below if there's anything that you think maybe we missed or anything you'd uh, expand upon in the comments to help players looking to get to that next level. Let us know down below and let us know what you want us to cover next. The first point and topic I want to talk about is one that maybe can seem like kind of daunting, if especially if you're like really dedicated to one deck. But it's something I really think helps not just getting into CDH, but getting into any format of magic. And that's looking to have firsthand experience on most of the popular decks. Ideally, I would say playing a couple of them, playing five, ideally 10 games with, with each of the decks, especially the very popular ones like Blue Farm, Najila, those decks that are very often going to be popping up into your games. I, I think it's super helpful. Or at the very least, having a lot of matchup experience with them, playing against these decks a lot, just having a good grasp of what they look to do, how quickly they tend to utilize it, and really get a, a great understanding of 
what it's going to be like in pods with these decks. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It depends on if we're like talking about like tournament CDH, your your particular like meta, your local LGS, your playgroup, those type of things that could have some small variabilities, though a lot of decks share very similar principles. Not all decks do, but you know, if you look at a Grixis pile, it's going to have similar things. You've got this really strong Esper core that we're seeing popping up in decks like especially like Tivit. And then there's other like outliers. New players talk about like Blue Farm, Najila, that type of stuff a lot, but there's, you know, other decks that are doing very well right now. There's like five colors, Sisse, there's Tyam, there's Tim Jessica's really come back onto the scene and popping up. So, you know, I could go on about all these decks that are doing well in these various circuits and everything like that. So just kind of understanding what each and every deck does, how they win, what their pressure points look like. And honestly, if you can't play with them physically, which would be like a great way to just understanding a deck, hop on, read some primers, reach out to the authors, reach out to people that, that also play the deck as well. They don't have to be the deck expert. They could just be somebody that you know. And then just goldfish some hands. Just understand how the deck wins, what its weaknesses to, those type of things. I think that really just kind of helps you understand a little bit about what to expect in, let's say, a tournament setting. Because you don't ever want to be in a tournament and it's a fairly, let's say, a like I would say like for a little bit, Tyam was French. I think Tyam's pretty popular. It's put up quite a bit of, mm. you know, results now to where it definitely deserves like to be noticed. So you don't want to be playing against Tyam and not know how to interact with it. And again, you got the whole table to lean upon to ask questions that to stuff. But you know, you want to be prepared for the most part. I would I would say that would serve you well. And that way you don't have to spend as much of your thought process trying to figure out on the fly how to do it, especially if that's an interaction that you could be prepared for. I think the two really good things that you're going to get out of this is kind of like Eric was saying, knowing when and how best to interact with these decks. I get a lot of questions about knowing when to interact, what spells are are threatening, and they're always going to be very context-based of the pod and the decks. And it's a thing you get a feel for mostly when you're playing the deck because you'll understand like you get a really good feel for, oh, this is going to be amazing if I resolve it. And then when you don't, you're like, oh, God. I'm screwed. I'm so screwed now. Like you very quickly get a good idea of how easily a deck can win from a certain spot. So Tyam, for instance, has really weird spots that it can win in, but also it's not a deck that inherently has a lot of card advantage and a bit of its engine is pretty visibly apparent if you understand how it works the pieces kind of have to be in play the mana has to be available and that's something if you just know that time can win out of nowhere you might not get that maybe the deck isn't a threat currently or for instance if you don't know how the Najila math works with grim hireling specifically versus derevi and how that can affect how they're able to win that's gonna impact your ability to actually accurately threat assess decks like this and i want to really quickly say number two it's also going to give you a lot of variety in what you get to play i think a lot of people getting up to this point the intermediate level they've probably stuck to one or two decks find something like yuriko or canon that we've recommended and then they mostly stick to it because they know it it's approachable for them it's comfortable and then they might stick with it for maybe longer than maybe not that they should but they might be able to get enjoyment out of something else where they to try it and this is a good time to just get your feet wet with all these other decks figure out what turbo feels like figure out what those grindy mid-range decks feel like try something with a bit of sax element to it and then you get to maybe find your new favorite deck that you know maybe the 
deck you started with that was good for your training wheels actually isn't like your ideal experience in CDH. And this is a really good opportunity to find what you really enjoy in the format because there's a lot of variety at the top. Some people might say that there isn't, but even amongst decks that sim- seemingly play similarly, like you look at a blue farm and an Agila, the actual steps that you take and, and like the sequencing and just how the games play out can be fairly differently. Same with blue farm versus Dawn Waker. Like those are both four color piles that play radically different kind of game plans. But I mean, they all have the same capability of starting with like a turn one Ristic study. So while having different traits, they could have similar traits because, you know, there's so many like staples in every deck. So I think that's just a good way. Just get your feet wet variety you might like something different and again just knowing to what you're going to be playing against it's no different than like you know another team studying like plays of like the opposing team that you're going to be facing you know you're going to do film study you're going to even go through some of their plays and practices especially like defense offense those type of things so you now know what to look for to be prepared for and uh, if anybody ever says you can be over prepared just ask bill belichick that on how they beat the seahawks in the super bowl so they practice that play on the one yard line and then they were they audible and they and the Seahawks ended up throwing and then they intercepted it so you know obviously just hand Marshawn Lynch the ball but at the same <laughs> time that was something that they practiced that's greatness you know and that, I think that's really cool to be able to do that obviously you know we're not going to be able to predict all these things in CDH mm. there's so many things but just having a decent understanding of what the decks do how they win and like what that pressure point and when they're going to try to hit the gas pedal is and I think it's an approach you might be more familiar with especially Especially if you were like a bit of like a standard or modern grinder is the the idea of like a gauntlet of playing all the best decks against all the best decks and getting a feel for like what's actually good right now like this is the an approach that has worked for a long time and it's if you want to quickly get into any format not just cdh playing what's good what's established is going to give you a really good feel for the speed of the format sort of the tempo and what it is that makes that format that format Now, here's one we have done a whole episode on. This is about the point, I think, where you should be used to regularly using politics and table talk in your games. It can be a bit overwhelming, especially as a new person, because you're still kind of getting used to the mechanics or the general feel of a game of CDH and trying to wrap your head around when you should be making certain plays and when you should interact and stuff like that. And it can be very hard to meaningfully engage in politics when your ability to threat assess is just not that informed. An intermediate player should have a good enough understanding of the decks at the table and the cards that they're likely going to see play in CDH to be able to use that knowledge to their advantage and try to maybe turn the table around in their favor by just not even necessarily bluffing, but pointing out useful knowledge and politicking and saying like, hey, I know because of my experience on Najila, that because he just tutored, it's very likely he can win because he has the mana sources and uh, the open attackers to hit with Derevi and win. That alone is politicking and table talk, and it doesn't require a super advanced level or a psych degree to engage in it in a very helpful way to your game plan. Yeah, and just also discussing like that in a meaningful way will just you know help you advance as a player because you know, depending on the, the like pod composition of not the decks, but the players, there's like going to be like players that might be better or more experienced than you. And then they're, you're going to be able to like feed off of it. It's going to be a learning experience. And that's sometimes how you have to look at it. And this goes beyond like, you know, king making or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about like having a simple discussion, like if they like mystical tutor for a dark ritual, 
okay, well, what are they de- What are they getting? Mm-hmm. They probably have a Nauseam in their hand, more than likely, if they're on, like, that type of deck. Or they're going to try to put, like, some big, like, powerful engine into play, you know? So just having those simple reads of, again, that really helps out with understanding the decks. Once you understand the decks, you will be able to implement politics a little bit better. Also, don't be afraid to ask questions. Asking questions is part of politicking too, because you could, you know, draw some information out that will help the table as a whole. Like Eric said, it's a really good place to also be learning because again, like, being whatever level you're at, you're still going to be learning about the game and just asking questions to the table like, hey, does this player win from here? Asking about what is going on at the table. It can be something, again, that players are going to expect because you are newer. And then sometimes you can also kind of be, have a more political slant like, oh, is like if you keep asking about a player, maybe people will start to get a little paranoid about it. Like this is a point where you can sort of really start to experiment with because you have a good grasp of what's happening and you don't have to hyper focus focus on yourself and your plays and being sort of self-conscious. This is a good point to start to think about the sort of mind games that go on at the table and just checking if your opponents are like very aware, dictating sort of the focus and the pace of the game just with your words and not necessarily even your plays. Yeah. And also too, one thing that I'd like to add is the deck that you are playing. So let's say you are very like interested in playing something like a rock side, like, and you're trying to really learn rock side, not just like pointing out what other people are doing, but being pretty honest with what you're doing. Like, because if you are at a table, if you've ever sat at a table and there's rock side, and then there's like a Thrasios, Timna deck, there's Tiv- somehow I feel like sometimes like Tivit, Tivit used to go under the radar. I don't think anymore because I think yeah. people realize how powerful Tivit is and Tivit's a very good deck. And, you know, but just an example, like if a lot of people have this hyper awareness of Rogsai, you're public enemy number one. So you got to really not just, you can't just play your game and then expect not to be targeted. They might just like actively like politic you out of the game because the fear of you winning really fast and understanding the deck you're playing and just allowing that language to complement the deck that you're playing. I think that's something that you can develop because as any turbo player can attest you're typically always like public enemy number one you know in a lot of ways and people want to hyper focus on you and i i understand that and that's something that i've allowed myself to do because in like just for example the people that i play with or the network that i play with anytime that i fix it every time i play something that's not turbo i feel like i can just get away with like anything like Mm -hmm. people just don't pay attention to me just like oh yeah Turn one smothering tide? Yeah, that's fine. No big deal, you know. Yeah. Oh, what's he going to do? And it's like turn to a tracks, and it's like, all right, GG, what's up? <laughs> it kind of becomes more required with some decks, like you mentioned with Rock'sai. And sometimes it isn't. I think a lot of people think of politics as like swaying people, maybe bending the truth or bluffing or trying to call bluffs. Sometimes even just highlighting the actual truth. I've played Rock'sai a bunch. Like just pointing out like I haven't cast a spell on my turn in two turns. I haven't developed at all. And this mid-range player now has more resources than me, more cards in hand. We are past the point where I'm advantaged now. And the players who are looking to play the long game are now the threat. Just highlighting the truth sometimes is enough to, if not get people on your side, at least have people second guessing what their original threat assessment is. Because you'll notice a lot of people sort of don't update their threat assessment. And a rock side player at 20 life with like two cards in hand, they can win. But once we're at like turn three, turn four, that mid-range four color pile player who's at like a, a nice 30 35 with five six cards in hand they're definitely looking to win that game before that rock side player probably is 
And I think that that remark really like complements like our next point, Mm -hmm. which is going to be like taking note of known information and not playing into a bad interaction at that point. You know, just really, like I said, taking advantage of known information, not playing into hate or interaction. Yeah, this is one that kind of covers a couple of things you could break down into individual topics, but broadly is about awareness and to an extent metagame knowledge and applying that to your game, not necessarily what is always in play, but what you can expect to be at the table. For instance, you'll see a lot of times people cast a tutor into, you know, someone does turn one, land, mana crypt, pass, somebody cast a tutor on their end step. I got you with the op agent. You don't want to get got with the op agent. Sometimes you're going to have to, you know, sometimes you got to make them have it. But getting a good feel for when a deck is likely to be on opposition agent or other certain hate pieces that you might get got by or just certain interaction sequencing your plays nowadays especially most decks are on mind break trap sequencing your plays around mind break trap when you can playing around things to the best of your ability and especially when the information is known don't feel bad about it. a lot of people i've seen so many people cast a tutor into a in-play opposition agent it happens sometimes you just forget or sometimes you think you can double spell but that rule of law is down there and you can't what I really like to do, and this might be helpful for you, it might not, when I'm going to take my turn, especially if I'm expecting to do something sort of big and impactful, is to go around and take a, a bit of like a checklist around the table of what could be disrupting me or what I need to focus on. So first, I'm going to look at what's already in play. If I see an op agent, there's no tutoring. If I see a rule of law, can't double spell. Anything that I consider stacks or hate, I need to take note of that. And then after that, it's sort of like cards in hand. It's mana available. It's things that could represent something. And that needs to be like in the back of your mind. And that's something, again, that I can't really give you the best advice of knowing when they're going to have it or when not. It's going to be a lot of context of paying attention to how many counter spells have been used, how many players have tried to win and been blown out, how many tutors have happened. We'll tell you the average kind of quality of cards that are in players' hand. Taking notes, I think, can be very helpful. You don't have to be super diligent about it, but just bringing some pen and paper and jotting down like op agent in hand or a tutor target that hasn't been played anything that's going to help you sort of unload that bit of like knowledge that's on your brain anything that's going to help you not have to think as much actively make it a little bit easier on yourself shorthand it sometimes i'll even ask the table like okay what stacks is in play oftentimes especially not in a tournament game people are likely to help you out and say well there's this this and this you need to watch out for and then just again being an active thinker at the table and, uh, before you start making these plays is going to really help you not sometimes you're going to get got and sometimes you'll still mess up, but it's going to help you overall make better decisions and more informed decisions. Yeah. And so with that being said, just make it really easy. Play Grand Abolisher and that way you only have to really play around two cards. That that makes it a lot easier at that point mm. to jam Grand Abolisher or like any kind of like silence, like effects of creatures like Doset or Ranger Captain, and then just go from there and then just, you know, shut your brain off. That makes it a lot and easier. It's actually interesting, too, because even then what gets you, depending on what your silence effect in, in question is, is actually a lot more relevant now with both the printing of Endurance and then the Channel Lands. Sometimes they're just going to have the Besage you as their last card in hand. Statistically, it's like how 
but <laughs> you're just gonna it's gonna happen and you're gonna maybe get a little upset about it knowing that that's an option though is gonna be helpful to you in certain scenarios where you can maybe try to get them to tap out beforehand anything you can do to sort of leverage the info you have of the game and the resources in play even try to make them use it on another person's turn mm-hmm. you know anything like that that you can and you're not always going to get to be able to do it but the times when you don't try i think you leave kind of like some equity on the table with that and you could even like see if they have it you may not even worry about it it may not even be affecting you and you're just trying to get some information some knowledge or make them think that that's what you're worried about and they're holding it up the whole time you know in reality it's it's make them worry about you having underworld breach and you don't you're not even going to try to win with breach you're going to try to win with like dual caster twin flame or whatever that looks like you know Mm. that kind of like little sub game there but Ultimately, just again, coming with that deck knowledge is going to really help with knowing what to play. And sometimes you you can't worry about that. Like, hey, this is my window of opportunity. This is the only turn I personally have based on life total, board presence, card in hands, turn order. I got to go for it, whether whether it's win or lose. Sometimes you can't worry about whether you're going to lose the game now or lose the game later. This segues very well into the next topic, which is being aware of how your opponents are playing to get a read on what they may be representing. Like we were talking about, if your opponent keeps holding up three and a blue and uh, they know someone tutored for breach, it's very likely there's an Ottawara somewhere or something similar or maybe a mind break trap that they're looking to potentially have to hard cast. If that Nas player has been holding up five mana for a suspiciously long time, they might be sandbagging an ad nauseum, you know? These are things that can vary from obvious to not very obvious, but having a good understanding of the game and that note taking and that uh just general like attention that you're paying can really pay out when you have noticed somebody's very consistently left up two in a black you can probably expect that an op agent is represented and that maybe you should let somebody else tutor first so that you can tutor in response opponents are whenever they're doing something or not doing something they're giving you information and using that to your advantage is going to really help you out get some extra value out of your cards and help you avoid getting blown out the what's beautiful about commander in general especially like a you know 100 card format or a 100 card deck is that there's going to be a pattern that's going to be very new every now and then and it's really cool when it happens whether it's for you or against you and just kind of understanding that knowing that wow that's actually possible i didn't even think about that you know you kind of see certain things it's really nice to have those like eureka moments going oh wow like my deck's possible with something like that you know instead of like a typical play pattern of like hey i'm going to go like fast mana and tutor into some kind of draw engine knowing that like the deck literally potentially has like this turn two capability and it be protected is also pretty well too and just seeing those type of things and what payoffs which will allow you to also get a good read on the cards that you're playing as well like maybe there's a card in question that you haven't been liking as much or a card that you might want to try out and you know when it shows up in these unique positions how does it play what's its floor what's its ceiling what's you know what's its middle ground those type of things So it's a really kind of interesting way. And I could go like ultra in depth and that's not what this podcast is about on just seeing like patterns and recognition, but just, you know, seeing how your deck kind of gives that feedback in those certain situations and just, again, take notes or something wrong with that. Yeah. And I think it's, it kind of can touch on the uh, psychological a bit with, with it's your opponents of like, cause sometimes I've been in a scenario where I hold up whatever, four or five mana don't have anything to do with it i just didn't have anything to do with it on, on my turn so it's like sometimes you even have scenarios where you can sit there wondering if you're getting uh 
mind tricked into something, but actually the opponent's just like, I'm not thinking about it at all. Um, and so there's, there's always that like sort of interesting dynamic because of like, we're in a really high variance format. Sometimes your opponent, their four cards are the exact four cards required to beat you. And sometimes they are four lands that they're looking at. So not always is, is this perfect knowledge of what they could be playing, what they're likely on, what the deck list looks like going to be helpful. But again, when those sort of average scenarios where, okay, I see he's got one blue up. There's only two cards in hand, so he can't go Flusterstorm and then Force of Will Me, right? Knowing what it's possible for your opponents, what they're likely on, and then sort of reverse engineering how the plays can go. Again, it's not always going to play out exactly that way because like Eric said, this is kind of a crazy format, but having that knowledge of what's possible and what's potential is going to help you out. Whenever I've been playing like Hearthstone or in any card games, I'm always sitting there thinking, what is the worst possible thing that they could do right now for me? Even cards that like, well, there's no way they'd play this card, but just like the super niche tech card that could pop out. Like the more knowledge you have that you can apply and especially magic where you can be aware of like the mana that's represented and and knowing what is possible and you're expanding your knowledge of that is just going to be helpful. And sometimes it's just a fun thought experiment to think like, oh, he could have this. Like often you'll hear people at CDH tables trying to predict each other what they're having. And it's like, oh no, it was actually an intuition to go get the pile of that. And so I have to let them, I have to feed their breach pile just to let them choose to do this. And then it's just always like these really cool potential for, for wild things to go. And the more you're thinking about the potential of it, the more I think it's going to pay off for you in the long term yeah it just opens your mind and expands your thought process nothing wrong with that all this is very much fed by a very strong knowledge of the format staples and popular deck specific staples i think as a new person you're going to be doing a lot of what card is that what does that do and ideally at the end of your what we call intermediate journey being an intermediate player, that should be happening to you not very frequently. Barring some very strange cards, like we talked about Tyam, there's some Tyam cards that you'll probably be saying that even as an intermediate player because they have to run weird stuff. But when you're playing against like good stuff piles or Grixis, decks that are utilizing very popular cards, you shouldn't very often having to be asking about both the cards and what they do and also certain interactions, barring some weird like replacement effect stuff. Yeah. So just again, having that agency over the cards in the format and just having a decent knowledge of that, there's tons of tools that help with that. We have some videos on like kind of the staples of the format. So you can go back and watch that video and that'll help you out. And then when you look at all these deck lists and stuff from the CDH events from all over the world, you know, you're going to see a lot of the similar stuff. So, and then it just kind of helps you expand upon to like, Outside the staples, what else is being played? Mm. You know, we were just looking at uh, Neil Stan's uh, list, uh, right, that has compost in it. Yeah. You know, last time you've seen compost, I haven't played compost <laughs> in my deck, like probably since like the close to like the food chain days, like back in yeah. the back in the though I compost is a very sweet card. I, I like that. I like that card a lot. But it's just, a, again, understanding too, like you don't want to like read compost and like, and go, oh yeah, that's fine. Let me cast this wheel and every player at the table is playing black. And then you mm -hmm. just beat the compost player like 14, 15 additional cards or something crazy like that. It really lines that up too with, especially with like Notion Thief, which has become really popular again. Uh, like yeah. if you're you're aware of the card Notion Thief, you know, in the staples, what decks tend to play it, what decks don't. And knowing like, well, you know, I'd like to wheel here, but my opponent has been holding up two mana with both blue and black, you know, a, a turn or two, like, an awkward amount like a suspicious amount then you know being aware of that card you know if you're not aware of the card you can't play around it 
And so if it's not on your radar, like, okay, I jammed the Wheel of Fortune. Worst case scenario, what do they do? Counter it? No, worst case scenario is they notion thief it, and you just threw that game as hard as you possibly could. You are not winning that game. Yeah, and that was obviously, like, really, really well represented in, like, the Hull Breacher days, you know, mm-hmm. just, like, yes. afraid to like, cast anything into a Hull Breacher because that card was just so OP. You know, it was uh, it was like a win condition on its own. But, yeah, you ridiculous. know, and again, just seeing, like, the new tech that people are playing that might be might, that might come back to being, like, a traditional staple or anything mm-hmm. like that or just a high percentage use. That would just help you again. That kind of comes along with the deck knowledge and stuff like that. And, you know, we're at that stage now where, again, like like Matt said, you're not like, oh, what's uh, what's Finhorn Elves do? That's, yeah. <laughs> you should, you should know. <laughs> I mean, I understand not knowing some green cards because <laughs> yeah. it's green. But, again, you should know at this point, if you follow the channel, you follow the videos, oh, I know what the Revy does. Uh, I know what Grim Hireling does and Najila. Okay, cool. I have a pretty decent grasp on how Najila does things outside of, like, Breach Ad Nauseum, you know those type of cards you know even though those cards are niche they're staples and those archetypes so mm-hmm. it's also really going to help you with the sort of like deck specific staples understand the value and the impact of tutoring where something especially with creature tutors i think that's a big one where maybe like a year or two ago someone could neoform their two drop and you might not be worried about it because you think maybe they're getting a ranger capped and you'll still have time to respond nowadays they might go grab the docent and you are locked out If you don't have that sort of knowledge of like, oh, decks nowadays are playing X card that could could be getting me, you're opening yourself up to potentially getting got. Not even necessarily like with hate pieces, but just not knowing the value of what's happening. So like the ability for for some decks, like what they're running can change the context of a card. So don't counter the tutor or other sort of like broad heuristics might not really apply in certain scenarios. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a little fun uh, incident that happened the other day. We're, we're playing in the competitive discord and I'm playing my new Corval deck that I've been brewing and working on. And I got a tutor for a dockside and there's a four drop car now, mm-hmm. uh, the planeswalker version, the great creator. And then I just said it straight up. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go wordly tutor for a dockside. And they're like, okay, nobody like try to stop it, counter anything like that because I can't sack the treasures, but I have a Magda in hand. And so I played the dock side, they resolved, play Magda, sacked five treasures. First thing that people go is like, oh, what's he going to go get? And they're like, well, he can't get, well, he can't get like, you know, he can't get this or can't. So I just went and got bolus of Citadel, you know? Yeah. And then just took the game over from there because everybody was like so worried about like, you know, because everybody put me on like, oh, you're getting hoarding Broodlord. And mm. then the Hoarding Broodlord at that point, the interaction was, it could still be interacted with. Yeah. And well, I might've got away with like a saw and half combo or something like that. I didn't have a lot of resources. So I just wanted to use the Citadel. So the Citadel just came down and just like took over the game. So it was like really nice. <laughs> but again, you know, just understanding and, you know, Magda lines are popular now too. You're seeing tons of Magda decks popped up, especially outside of just like what like Magda was doing in like the actual like commander version of the deck. But it, you see it in play in like, the Chernobyl style decks and like Tim Jessica, Kalia. So all these like kind of Mardu shells that you're seeing it in understanding that they can go get a bolus of Citadel, a defense grid, a grinding station, a wish claw talisman, you know, just having that knowledge of like, these are potentials they can get. Also the fact now that they can just go tutor up demonic tutor dragon, which is really nice. Mm. So, you know, just having that again, that little bit of knowledge on a deck that's popped up in two of the last events and both what took down Mox Masters and then then top four, the treasure series of chaos. 
that's going to help you. So if you're playing against that deck, you're just like, well, what are they going to go get? Maybe they're not getting Bull Citadel. Maybe they're getting the Dragon at that particular point to try to like win the game. So just those like little little things. And it kind of highlights too that getting an intermediate knowledge level, whatever that means, isn't necessarily like something you achieve and then you keep forever because things are going to continuously change. Like what is a staple gets reevaluated. The value of certain cards changes over time. They dip and they come back. And again, having knowing what's that new hot thing, because not necessarily your games are going to be decided by the best cards and people playing the best decks. Sometimes it's that random deck that hasn't been updated since like 2021 that you got to be ready for and just having that good foundation of knowledge of the staples and this is also where you'll be able to like sort of put together combos that people might be going for when you have a good awareness of like oh well they're tutoring for a four drop like what could they be doing in that and when you have that good staple knowledge you sort of put together like oh this combos with this if we don't interact here we're probably going to get shut off and that's where it all sort of starts to come together and you'll really start to like get some games out from under people who maybe thought that they could have got it out from under you yeah, and just also, too, you do the table of service. If, you know, you see somebody with a really great start, we were playing not too long ago, and the Rocco player turned one uh, Smothering Tithe, and with a lot of, some fast mana, and they're Rocco, and they're going to have a tremendous amount of mana. Hmm. And I was like, they might be able to assemble a win, so it was really important to, like, keep the Rocco player in check. And it allowed us to, you know, survive. And I was on a turbo deck and I wasn't supposed to win that game <laughs> traditionally, but I politicked my way through it and I was the last man standing. So it was one of those things where my deck knowledge really, really helped out. Not only my personal deck knowledge of that deck, but the deck knowledge of one of my opponent's deck. I'm like, oh, you can go tutor for this piece to shut him down. You're like, you can go get Yusharn with your Sisse. Mm. Or, you know, whatever that may look like, even though Yusharn's bad for me, it's better than losing that particular point, which gave me just enough time to eventually be able to interact with everybody. So that's one of those like little neat tricks of, you know, taking some knowledge from other people's decks and using them against each other while you're just playing, you know, advancing your board state, maybe playing some lands, some talismans, putting a little bit of mana ramp out there. You're not necessarily presenting a threat, especially if the game is not in that position to where it can just be shut off anytime, you know, by like a Thos's Oracle combo or something, just like a two card combo just to like clean the game out. So yeah, so hopefully these topics have been helpful for you. This isn't exactly an exhaustive list of things you need to be able to do and again these sort of like player levels are a bit vague but these are some of the main things i would focus on as goals to for you to achieve as a beginner player looking to take that next level if there's anything here that you think we missed or any advice that you would give to newer players looking to take that next level ahead uh let us know down below let us know in the comments on discord and um let us know what you want to hear from next i think we're pretty firmly in that sort of stage where people are wanting this sort of mid-level advice of like the competent player, you know, how to get that level where they can really sort of start to flex their muscles that they've been building as they've been getting in reps with their with their decks. And um, we're, we're definitely down to do that. So let us know what you'd like to hear, what you're struggling with. And um, maybe we'll look to cover that next time. As always, much appreciate the listeners and viewers of Learning CDH. And I want to give a huge shout out real quick before we go to uh, all my patrons over on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support, especially to big $10 patron LF Cruz. All the support that comes from over there very directly funds what we get to do over here on the channel. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you next time.